This is Raw Cut. This is Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And today, a story from City Slicker to a love of the country. Don't miss it. Yes, welcome to Life Burst. I am Sarah. And I'm Matt. And today in the studio, we have Peter. G'day, Peter. Oh, there you go. Going well. And uh, you're here. You've got some uh, some props around, which we'll, we'll uh, tell your story as we go along for those who can see it, but we'll describe those who can't. But you're here. Your story, is, it's a good one. Take us back to the beginning. Well, if we go right back to the beginning, I guess, uh, no, we won't go right back to the beginning. Um yeah, I, we, I'm a city boy, really. Mm. Our family uh, started off in the suburbs of Adelaide as a as a young lad, and um, so I spent did what most families do in uh, those younger years. Uh, um, played plenty of sport and was made to learn the piano and uh, do all those sorts of things. And it was only really at the age of ten when I was at school. I had a mate at school who was um, um, he family owned a cattle station up uh, north of Roxby Downs, a place called Billicalina Station. It's about uh, well, a couple of hours drive um, over sand hills and things from Roxby Downs to uh, to get to the station. In those days, it was more warmer than Roxby Downs. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, he was became my best mate at school. And uh, so at the age of 10, uh, he and his family invited me to go north and that was the beginning of my journey from the, the city to the bush, really. Okay. So up until that point, you you were a city kid. You uh, you did what a city kid did. You you played. Music was a part of your life. Um, but uh, that that was a defining moment for you. Those trips up north. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was. Um, it was when uh, we went up there. Uh, or I went up with, his name was Keith, um, Keith Greenfield. Uh, when we went up there, I did, had no idea what I was uh, what I was getting myself in for. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely remote. Um, I learnt the sound of silence. I think there was a song written about mm-hmm. that. But, uh, um, and I just fell in love with it. It just became part of me. And, in fact, uh, um, the September school holidays, which were the school holidays in those days in September, mm-hmm. and um, I spent every school holiday from the age of 10 to I was about 20, 21, uh, up north. And my birthday happens to fall in uh, in that those school holidays. So I never had a birthday with my parents from the age of 10 to my 21st. So uh, that's how important it was to me. And what, what, what did you like so much about the bush besides the silence? Um, I think it was just getting out there, riding, learning how to ride horses, working with cattle. And those days, the the entire um, workforce were Indigenous Aboriginal guys, mm-hmm. and getting to know them, and um, it was just uh, it just bred into me. You know, campfires and sleeping out and dingoes and plenty of rifles and all that sort of thing that young boys like to to mess around with. Mm. And uh, yeah, no, that was probably the the motivating things. That right. Yeah, some people would not agree with you at all sleeping out in a swag <laughs> under the stars flies i'm not really a fan of flies i did get uh, i did get uh, a little bit scared on occasion dingoes were my right. biggest i used to have okay. nightmares about dingoes because they used to 
run around the outside of the homestead howling at the, the station dogs and I always thought they were going to be jumping through windows and grabbing me and all those sorts of things. Right. They, they the don't do boys. that, So I had they? a bit of a fear about that. <laughs> so when you first went up there at the age of 10, was there a difference uh, between what you wanted to or thought you might do as a uh, as you grew up mm. at that point to when you started to fall in love with the country? Did that change? Um no, I, I didn't. I didn't think I thought about it. I mm. was I was still a city boy, but had that in back in in me this uh, love of the country, um, and uh, but I was still taken up so much with uh, sport, whether it was swimming or football or tennis or anything else that boys happen to do. I have two brothers um, who uh, kept me in tow, and so um, uh, we did all that together. As I said, when I did start to play music, my mother made me learn mm-hmm. the piano, mm-hmm. which I wish now she'd forced me to learn a little longer. Right. Um, but um, I can't hardly play the piano now. But it did it did breed into us. Although we were we were a very musical sort of family. Mother was in the church choir and father was always attempting to sing bass line in the, whenever he was singing and my two brothers didn't mind Mm. pitching in a note here and there. So it was we were sort of wore up and that sort of in, in So mind. you really liked the country. Did anyone else in your family really like it or not? Um yes. So uh, well when I say that the the original my mother's grandfather came out from uh, from England and and they established on a rural property. Um uh, but it never meant anything to me. Um and uh so there was a bit of that in the background somewhere. My mm-hmm. brothers um, enjoyed going up to the station on a couple of occasions themselves. Um, they now live uh, in the Adelaide Hills as well, so there must have been something. Mm-hmm. We all moved from the city, basically. The whole, our whole family now exists in the, in the Adelaide Hills, mm-hmm. no, no one in the city. Right, thanks to the, that, that moment, yes. <laughs> well, it was, for, it was for me, not that I thought about it. At that time, it didn't, that wasn't. Uh, mm. I wasn't thinking yeah. where I was going. I could only think about one day ahead of, <laughs> in the teenage years. Yeah. So back to the childhood, you know, three three brothers together. Um, you, although you had those country experiences, were there some adventures you had together as a band of brothers back home? Well, there's, as you can imagine, three boys. Yeah. Um, there was always uh, a fair bit of... Uh, Fighting going on between us. My father had a set of uh, boxing gloves that he would uh, get us out in the playground behind our home down in Erindale, and uh, uh, this is the best place to sort it out. He was a great YMCA man, so he, uh, he'd draw this circle and say, right out, boys, in you go and go for it. And usually, <laughs> usually it was my two brothers. I, I'd, uh, I'd just sit on the outside. I think I was mum's pet, so I sort of got out okay. a lot of that. But probably stirred it on. You're the good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was a little goody two-shoes. <laughs> so as you went uh, through schooling, um, how was schooling for you? Was it something that you took to like a duck the water or was it a challenge? Um no, I enjoyed certain sections of uh, schooling. I, I, I love sort of geography. I was quite good at maths. I think I got a bit of dyslexia in me somewhere, so English definitely was not my thing, although I went on to uh, to go to university, but um, I, it was, I had to work hard. There were mates alongside me that had sort of breezed through and I had to study really hard to, to, to get there. In fact, I only got into to uni on a what we called in those days an English queue because I didn't pass English and so I had to go back and um, 
and try and do the court the, that subject again, but got out of it because they said, "Oh, your other subjects weren't too bad, so we'll let you in," sort of thing. So, yeah. in those days, uh, and what did you uh, go on to study at uni? Um, I studied uh, economics, so I, I graduated in economics back in sixty nine, nineteen sixty nine. Um, and uh, so uh, I had some really great years at uni. It, it was. Um, it was a great lifestyle and uh, plenty of spare time. My, I really enjoyed the schooling um, times because I built up some great mates and um, and that can that's continued on to today in the current time. But uh, mm. um, and I went on to to play football with our school's old scholars team, so um, that sort of kept going uh, after uni days. I I was fortunate enough to get into uni. The uh, Shell Company sponsored me to get through. Through my family um, were involved in real estate. My father and grandfather, and and generation before that was uh, were in real estate. My brothers were in real estate. I vowed and declared I was never going to get into real estate, and uh, so uh, and I didn't know what I was going to do when I left school. So go to uni and keep learning and mm. work something out from there. And of course, I ended up in real estate. <laughs> 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 As it happened. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we will take a break at that point <laughs> and we'll come back. This is Life Verse with Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app or you can share this on social media. Welcome back to Life Verse with Sarah and Matt. We're chatting with Peter today. And Peter, I've noticed that there is, well, there's, Lots of awesome props around the table for our interview today. And so this is definitely an interview for people to go back and watch, like on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, but uh, there is, it looks like some type of iron or something down there. Oh, uh, yes. I did. I brought the. Oh, yeah, just, pick it up. Let's have a look. Uh, I brought this in. This is a branding iron. Um, it's and a this, long metal stick. With yeah, I brought this in and some hats. And. Um, you may recall from that photograph back when I was ten years of age, I uh, um, I just had a normal old peak cap. Well, that's no good in the bush. So um, mm-hmm. um, Keith's father decided I had to get my first Akubra hat. So uh, yep. this was my pride and joy. So I decided to brand it with um, my mate's brand. This is this question mark, right. and um, <clears throat> so the, the kids all had their own brand, so they could build up their own stock as they went by. Keep in mind, Keith was only 10 at the same same age as me, mm-hmm. but he had his own brand. And so I used, and it could easily be this branding iron, I branded the, the rim of my hat yeah. and, and uh, it was very special. And this, uh, Keith, uh, my mate, gave this to me uh, on my 60th birthday together with some very old rope. Yeah, sure, exactly. Well, that's really interesting. It's a... Uh... It's faster branding. This is not a, not a typical. I'll take that one for you. Oh yeah, not great. a typical uh, rope. What you've got there? Not, no, not, this, not this, ro- this rope was actually made on the station. It's 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 original cowhide rope, big, probably over hundred years old, I would think. And they they get the hide after they've killed the uh, beast. Just hold up a bit higher. Um, yeah, can you see it there? It's uh, gone a bit stiff, yeah. but it's quite quite unique. Um, and uh, then they. They twist it and, and make it into rope. This is actually a lasso. There's another bit at the end here, this leather bit down here. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, would have been a lasso for uh, lassoing cattle. 
and uh, used on, in stockyards and bits and pieces. Anyway, this, this Keith gave to me uh, on my 60th birthday. That was my 60th birthday present, which uh-huh. they're my pride and joy, and they, they sit in the stables and um, and give me memories of going, going right. back to that era. Okay. So how does a branding iron work, and what do you use it for for people who don't know? Um, basically, you just put the, the end that you've got, your right hand on, in a, in a fire and get it red hot. So it's glowing red. Yeah. And then um, the... Uh, a brand mat. The, mm. the, the, the beast really would be right held now. down or in a race if it's Quick, hold him down. <laughs> hold him down, yeah. Don't Usually him they're calves. They're at young age. So they're... Huh. they're Are you young? They're tipped over and held down. <laughs> And then you come in and they yell out Brando oh, and uh, okay. someone runs in and it's usually us boys run in with a very hot branding hot, it's cold on the handle end and hand it to them and they straight into them and burn through the, the hair and there you go, kids, they're branded try this and that's home. it. <laughs> you're branded now. You now believe Done, it. yes. Yeah, you've not quite yeah. got the concept right there. But question, that's the, the question mark is probably <laughs> appropriate for me. That's it. There. Heavy for me to hold. It's quite heavy. Um, you usually have a, if you're doing down. a lot of cat, you'd have, you might have 10 or 15 of these yeah. branding irons in a big long fire. And, yeah. So, well, the hats, well, we've got a few more hats here that will come out through your story yeah, as well. Yeah, well, always got a hat on somewhere. But uh, someone else came into your Yes, life. there is a very special lady. This is the question I always get to ask, which is really nice. How did you meet your now wife? Uh, Heather, yes. Well, we were uh, 16. I went, well, I. it was a blind date as far as I'm concerned. She said we were all invited to this one 16th birthday party, <laughs> which was my cousin's 16th birthday party. And she, uh, Heather worked with Diane, uh, who's my cousin. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a good, we spent a lot of time together as cousins. And so I went along. But I took her home. So well, I don't know quite how that works. In 16 <laughs> years, I must have just... Excuse me, just got my driver's license. So, um, yeah, so we were 16 years of age, and uh, in when we were 21, in our, we uh, we got married, uh, and that was the beginning. And later on, had a couple of kids. Um, uh, okay, Karen, moving too oh, fast. Shane first, and then Karen. Right. Hang on. So you like looked at each other across the room or were you like, you know, was it awkward when you first met each other? Um, Give us well, she's pretty stunning. It uh, still is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she was pretty stunning. So, um, and I was still going to school. She was working for the National Bank and, and I was still going to school. So I made sure that when I was on my way home, I was sort of, I had a, um, a dose in the after that, I had a little Austin A30, which was my mother's old car when I took over. So I'd make sure I just were driving past up Kensington Road where I knew she walked home from the bus So, uh, and then asked her if she'd like a ride and sort of worked my way in that way, really. Yeah. How and, romantic. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it runs in the family. I think my parents both met each other when they were similar sort of age. And then stalked them as they walked home from Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. Right word. <laughs> The same approach. Being all, a gentleman, offering a, a lift. All males do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, that's that's great. Now, footy was a big part of your life as well. You mentioned that. We've got a, got a photo as well. That's a part of that story. Tell us um, about your footy days. Yeah, well, I was actually a little fat guy uh, as as a boy and uh, wasn't. You know, I played a lot of football, um, but uh, it was only in the latter years, probably my later teens and the 20s, that I was sort of. Matured, I think, if that's the place, and had a um, um, pretty successful footy career in the amateur league. 
um, coached and captained and won the odd medal or two. But uh, so I, I had a, a very active and, and great footy career. This That particular photo was an interstate game we were playing against uh, Western Australia, I think, in that game. Um, but uh, my football life was always in the shadow of my brother, Brent, because he at that stage was playing for uh, Sturt um, and there wasn't an AFL, but he was playing for Sturt and, uh, and became an All-Australian back pocket player. So I became Brent Nedcock's brother. Mm. I forgot, they forgot um, my name for a while. Yeah. But, but uh, no, I had a, gr- I had a really great time uh, in that footy, going through to really from my late teens through to... Uh, to my early thirties. Right now, I know you you don't like to recognise this, but you you were recently recognised um, by the club for a significant number of games. Tell, tell yeah, us. yeah, that was that was a funny story. I, it was a couple of months ago. I, I was working down the shed, and uh, Heather said, "Oh, there's someone here who wants to talk to you on the phone." So I went in, and it was the president of the football club that I that I played for, which is Pembroke Old Scholars Football. Nowadays, it was Kings Old Scholars. Anyway, he, he said, uh, you, win an, you won another medal. And I said, well, hang on, hang on. That was 50 years ago. <laughs> um, they, he said, yeah, no, they forgot that they, I must have been equal, had equal votes on one particular year. I'd won the medals either side of it, um, but um, not in 1971 it was. Um, and he said, uh, you actually were equal winner and these days they give a medal to both recipients rather than work on a countback. So I was presented that medal uh, 50 years later. 50 years <laughs> later. Yeah, I can probably, I could have a football, I had no idea. But, but they had a big function down yeah. at the football club and uh, it was great to see my old mates and a few other people. Being at school. Well, there you go. Not just uh, your brother, the brother of Brenton, Peter Adcock got his own recognition. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was interesting because Brenton went to that presentation and he said he'd never seen me play because obviously we were playing at the same yeah, time yeah. in different leagues. And uh, so, uh, uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, as you met Heather, uh, you moved past your uni days and uh, you uh, started to explore some other adventures. Yeah, well, it's um, I, uh, football was is very personalised thing and Heather sort of followed around with the kids and uh um so when i retired from football and 30 when i was 31 or two i can't remember exactly what it was what we decided we'd do something together um so we took up scuba diving we lived in a house um in taringi up behind up mcgill up in the foothills there um and our neighbors were in the concrete construction game and he just built a a, a tower for the Adelaide Skin Diving Centre in, in, in Adelaide. And uh, they'd taken it up, he and his wife, uh, Dave and Jill, had taken it up. So they said, why don't you get involved? So we, we decided we'd do that because they're the, the swim. And, and uh, we had some great times. We, um, uh, we had the fortune of going and diving in uh, Micronesia, um, uh, which is uh, in a place called Truck Lagoon. It was a Japanese war base during the Second World War. And at the latter half of the year, uh, latter half of the war, the um, the Americans um, bombed it fairly seriously and there was a lot of war wrecks that, uh, that sank in this lagoon, uh, Truck Lagoon. It's about 20-odd miles, kind of 11 kilometres uh, across, and it was protected from the 
Pacific Ocean mm. currents, etc. So it's been in this perfect environment for just being preserved. Mm. And so you could dive in these things in an absolute crystal clear, warm water, and um, and there is a photo I think yes. with you if you mm. if you're seeing it. But uh, that's of Heather looking through a wreck of a ship, um, and uh, but we had uh, yeah, it was some pretty pretty exciting times then. We we dived on a, um, a submarine, uh, the I one six nine, which is in about 120 feet of water. So it's pretty, that's pretty deep, about as deep as a sports diver can go. Mm. And um, the story was that this um, submarine was uh, um, instructed to dive when the Americans started to to bomb, and, and they went to the bottom. And they weren't able to start their motors and couldn't get the the uh, submarine up. Uh, after the raid, they put cables on. Divers went down, put cables on, and they winched it to the the surface. But the cable snapped, and it went to the bottom, and mm. then got lost. Okay. And uh, it was only a matter of 20-odd years later that an American team and, and Japanese team uh, found it and uh, they took out as many remains as they could of the divers and it was sealed up. So when you're diving on this thing, it's pretty eerie because yeah. the, the yeah, cables wow. are still uh, hanging around wow. the outside of this uh, and wow. uh, and that was a bit of a bit of a highlight. Yeah. But it was pretty deep, 120 feet. It's pretty wow, deep. what an experience. Yeah, yeah fantastic. No, well, we're chatting to Peter and we'll be back right after this with more Life Bursts. <laughs> Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. Thanks for joining us on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah as we're chatting to Peter today. Now, Peter, back to your uh, finishing uni. Uh, did you find work right away? Uh, where did you end up? Well, I was fortunate enough to go through uni uh, with the Shell company, mm. uh, sponsored me through that. Uh, and then I worked for the Shell Company for um, probably 12 months or so. Um, but then an opening opened up in our family real estate company. My father asked me whether I'd like to join them. At that stage, I matured a little bit from my original thinking about <laughs> real estate. My brothers were involved at, at that time, so I decided, yes, that's what that's what I'd do. So I decided... and. and our family had a, a, a ruling that if you're going to get into real estate, you have to also be a qualified conveyancer. So I thought, oh, that's a piece of cake for a uni graduate. Well, I failed the first time that right. I tried that. Um, but uh, anyway, got did pass it eventually and got uh, did some conveyancing and then into the sales. And so that was the start of 30-odd years of uh, running the real estate company. And, uh, yeah, the, and they were great, great years down yeah. in the east suburbs, yeah. And in the midst of that, you uh, well, you got your own little piece of real estate as well, and you moved uh, from the the suburbs out into the country. Yes, well, it, um, as I was saying earlier, we we I was we were involved in scuba diving. But when you come back to Adelaide or South Australian waters, and it's freezing cold, <laughs> you've got to put wetsuits on, everything else, we, that sort of lost its gloss uh, mm. from matter about swimming in the tropics. So. Mm. Um, we decided, uh, what else am I going to do? And um, my brothers had actually already moved to Harndorf and uh, and Oakbank, so I thought, oh, well, maybe horses. That could be get back to learning to ride from the station time from those early days that uh, get an interest back in horses and uh, and take up the sport of uh, fox hunting. Um, not not that we hunted too many foxes. The foxes were the safest thing in a fox hunt, but the um, and that sort of 
got us back in, so we then needed some land in which to, to put a horse and uh, ended up buying a, a piece of land in a chunga. So, um, and then we, we used it as a weekender for a couple of years, but then had to make a decision, look, you can't live in two places. Our kids were already booked in to go to school at, in the city, but I realised that they had to get involved locally. Otherwise, uh, as I'd seen with many other families that have moved to the country, turn around and go back because the kids' total activity is revolved around their activities mm-hmm. in the city. So um, so we did it at uh, at a time when they could get into the Chunga Primary School for a f- couple of years, um, and that, was a, that worked out great because they are all country kids now. They all live no more than a few k's away from us and uh, with grandkids etc so uh, that was a good move in those days so so this brings us to another hat yes i was gonna say we cleared oh uh, yeah well i've got i've got a few hats here um this interest in in fox um, fox hunting um, sort of developed i thought of i'm one of these guys that i can't do it half-heartedly if i'm going to do it i'm i'm all in so um, we got this love of fox hunting and i decided well that was traditionally it came from england so on a trip we went to England, I decided to go um, uh, fox hunting. Had no idea what I was doing right. over there because yeah. it was a traditional thing. And, right. um, and there's one particular uh, instance. You, in fact, this hat was the hat that's in a photo. I don't know whether it's coming up at the uh, yep. a black and white one there. Of, um, in England, we were actually hunting stag that's right, in that particular hunt. But this hat, this, this hat I had made in England by... Lock Brothers, who were the, the hatter for the Queen. Oh, there and um, it was made to actually exactly fit my head. So if I put this on, it's like it is that tight, <laughs> but, it, but it's exactly the right size. Right. So you can actually ride without strap. You couldn't do it today because legally you've got to have all the safety harness on. But, yes, that was, that was made and... Um, and I wore it hunting ever since a few scars, and I've probably come off a few times. But uh, that became a big, big part. We involved in the Strathalbyn Hunt Club, and we built lots of runs. Um, in fact, there still is a run that goes from our property uh, even today. Um, and um, uh, so there was a number of horses that I had. I, I bred one particular horse. Oh, well, this this other thing here, you probably is this is a. As my love of music, as we may have mentioned earlier, um, um, I started to learn to play the guitar at home and uh, I decided that someone should be blowing the hunting horn okay. uh, to bring in all the traditions and the etiquettes and everything else. So I sent over to England and had this this sent back and uh, I became the, the guy who blew the horn for uh, at the hunt. I had to learn all the all the calls because it's quite complicated you just don't blow it they all mean something when you know the fox has gone to ground or you've right. got to come this way or go that way or um, the chase is on or whatever it, whatever it is so i i wrote some music in in not normal notes form but something you could i could understand to blow the horn so i learned to blow it so i'd ride along blowing this thing uh this this was strapped to your saddle uh, and Continued to do so. There you go. And I think the last time I officially blew it was at a, a funeral of a guy who died from a, in, in the hunt club, and that was yeah. There you probably go. The best time I ever blew it. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for bringing that in. Yeah, so horses were uh, a big part of your life. You're now in a in a place where you can let them run and enjoy. Yes, your- well, I, 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 I had this ambition to breed Irish 
draft, a mixture of Irish draft and thoroughbred um, horses, mm -hmm. uh, great jumpers. They're used in most of a lot of eventing horses these days. Uh, uh, use the Irish draft breed, uh, bloodlines. So uh, I, I bred one horse, one horse only. His name was Brandon, um, and he turned into an, an absolute monster. Um, he started off as a little bait foal. We've got photos of that? Yeah, I yeah. think there's a, there's one of actually when he was born um, in 96 um, with his mother, who I was hunting at that stage. She was a great she little was a brown great foal. Horse. Yeah, that's that's her. The she was a fantastic jumper, the mother, but that's that's the foal that big, and uh, he turned into an eighteen-hand monster, um, which uh, is was my pride and joy. Um, he became that big uh, that uh, that's not him. That's hunting a, a, another horse, but uh, there is a photo of him which I I never hunted him actually because he was too big and and a bit clumsy. And um, so it was hunting wasn't going to be his thing. Um, so I used him more for trail riding, and and, and uh, so, but he was he was pretty special. Right. Very, when... very very his shoes were about this. this oh, okay, they were, they were that's big. Yeah, right. When you say hunting him, just in case people are getting confused, <laughs> oh. what? Yes, yeah. you're riding him um, and chasing. In the Stratham Hunt Club is a simulated hunt, so there's no fox. Okay. Uh, there's a set course. Uh, you might jump 100 jumps or so in an afternoon. Um, the the thrill of it is that when one horse takes off at a gallop, they all want to take off at a gallop. <laughs> so you might have 20 horses and you've got to jump over a jump that you can only fit two over. So it, it can get uh, barbed wire involved and a few other situation so it it's it's an adrenaline rush for sure mm. uh still being done today uh the very little live hunt live fox hunting these days right um, so these couple of photos we've got on uh, uh are you in a hunt yeah there's a cut there's with a different the, the horse. one there's one uh, in in a hunt uh that gray horse um yeah that was a hunt uh but that i hunted for what 20 years or so but then got too old really and I did, you've got to have a good jumper so uh, and when I retired my last jumper which happens to be the mother of that uh, Brandon um, I decided that trail riding was where I'd go from there so then I took up uh, riding in the high country and went up to um, the uh, Alps behind Mount Buller was where it all started Halkwa Valley um, went up with some other the Stony family who had uh, leases on the high country and where the Manfred Snowy River was filmed, mm. and um, and so I rode with them. That's the first time we went up. Uh, that's looking overlooking the Halkwa Valley, um, and therefore got a lot of that. And then been going back there ever since, really, um, not by ourselves with some locals. That now that's Brandon. That particular photo. That's the one that was that foal, um, and. Uh, he, he was a great horse. He's got but, a bit bigger, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, got, he got a lot, 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 lot bigger. That yeah. that hat is yeah, just, another, another, hat. Say, another, another hat. hat. Yeah, well, oh, this this is a bit more. This is more the one the hat that I'm I'm comfortable wearing these days. So uh, this this would be something that I still wear to, still wear today. And, um, well, let's put it out on the table. Oh, on go on. Table. We've got a, a wide brimmed hat here. Definitely looks like a, a great, you know, man from Snowy River type hat. <laughs> it does, uh, for suits, sure. suits well. Yeah. Um, well, I've rode. There's a few horses that, that I have. I've now my current horse. Uh, 
Monty is a, a skewball sort of paint horse, uh, and um, he's a great horse, but he's getting to his end of his tether a little bit like me too, so I'm not quite sure how much longer this is going to go on for, but it's great fun, and we've got the local guys we go up there with now. And so the, the love of horses has still been going, and, and, and riding has been probably a key component of moving to the moving up to a chunga. Fantastic. I'll continue uh, with us having a chat with Peter straight after this on Life Births with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Peter today. We have an array of hats on the table, some branding iron and a whole bunch of other things all over the ground that I can't see anymore. So this is definitely a video that you need to watch on <laughs> YouTube and Facebook for sure. Uh, but Peter, we have some more photos to share as well. Uh, this next one, you're doing some four-wheel driving. I'm going to presume maybe you've retired by this time? Uh, yes, well, that was... Um... As boys do, and one of my mates, we decided that at a certain age we were getting out of work and going to, going to retire. Well, of course, we that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So in our early 50s, uh, we decided to go four-wheel driving. So we went uh, feral, basically, for six months, driving around Australia, up to Canning Stock Road and all over the place. And um, uh, and the photograph of, of that particular photograph, I think, is up there as uh, John and Gloria mates of ours bogged in uh, Cape York. Significant, um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, John had a habit of getting bogged in things. But... <laughs> <laughs> Makes a good photo, I think. Um, but, uh, no, we had, to, we had a great trip and, uh, you know, did, did what you always do, grow a beard and uh, went, went a little bit off the, off the scale. <laughs> but it, it was a great time. It was a time when... I, I purchased uh, that didgeridoo over there yes. from um, in nice. Alice Springs. Uh, we went to the university. No, was it? We got a degree in didgeridoo playing by going to the University of Didgeridoos, which I think was an excuse to get twenty dollars out of you. Uh, and <laughs> they, they, they learned. They taught you how to uh, to make one note, um, which that's about all I could do, and I, I really could couldn't play it. Um, but later on, when we, we did more trips north, uh, I had an opportunity and some time where I could learn to play it properly. Um, and I sat down and learned how to circular breathe. And um, and then my guitar and uh, didgeridoo went on every trip we went north. Um, and so, and they, well, the didgeridoo sort of been pushed to one side a little bit now, but the guitar goes with me everywhere. Yeah, um, I think we've got a photo of you playing the didge as well. Uh, is it your place? Yeah, no, that is actually up in the high country. Oh, okay. Um, that particular place, nice and green. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I had uh, one of the great stories I remember of playing the didgeridoo. We were up at Cape York, actually, when when this was happening. And um, we are at a place called Weeper. Um, and I decided that every night I'd just go down to the beach or wherever it was with a can of beer or something or other and sit down and, and play my didge because no one else wants to listen to someone playing a ditch, that's for sure. So anyway, I was on this, uh, this just sitting on the sand there, playing away, and um, along 
walking along the beach came this group of young Aboriginal boys. They were up there on a, um, an Auskick footy thing. They'd come from the Torrens Strait Islands and uh, they were all there at Weeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, some AFL guys, Dip and Dominico and a few other guys were up there sort of seeing what future talent might be around. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these boys were in their nice Nike shoes and fancy gear, walked along the beach and I could see them looking up at me sort of while I'm playing this ditch. So I suddenly, uh, I said, uh, I yelled out to them. I said, hey, hey guys, you want, can any of you guys play a ditch? Anyway, they came, all came tearing up. There's mm-hmm. about 10 of them. They all came tearing up and uh, uh, and they said, no, mate, no, no, we we can't, can't play. It, but they said, we can dance. Okay. And I said, all right, well, how about I'll play and you dance? So we started playing while well, these kids were kicking up sand and they, they were really getting into it. And then um, after a, a few minutes, they suddenly realised, hang on, we're cool footballers. <laughs> 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 we're not that. So they stopped playing and thanks, mate, you know. Right. Although one, one young lad uh, said, can I have a play, which he did, but unfortunately... <laughs> I think he had the flu or something or other because I was pretty crook <laughs> after that time when I went out to playing it. But, yeah, so the the ditch, um, I've just played every every time we go away, keep practice up, and although I'm, I, I can't do it now, it's a bit like playing the trumpet. You've got to do it constantly to get keep it keep it going. But uh, Or the hunt horn. Yeah, yeah well, the hunting <laughs> horn is the same thing. Uh, yeah, those two I've sort of not been used a lot. I, um, the best place to play a didgeridoo is in the bathroom, really. Can you get the echoing sound? Yeah, but the, the, the guitar, guitar, I'm still uh, constantly playing. I've actually gone back to lessons. Um, I, at the age of 15, and I was self-taught, but then realised I, I didn't really know what I was doing. So later, I, and uh, I decided to have lessons after giving my granddaughter Dana a guitar for um, uh, for one of her early birthdays and told her that she should have lessons. And I thought, well, if I'm telling her to have lessons, the best way, example, is for me to have <laughs> lessons. Awesome. So I did that. And uh, and you've been able to uh, not just play for yourself, but you've been able to use the guitar as a, as a tool to bring together the community in different ways as well. Yep. Yeah. No, I played uh, most Sundays at church um, and, um, uh, and, and always when I'm going bush, so, and, and we have bush nights and, events like that and uh no no i, I enjoy playing it I've, I've actually gone back to learning the scales would you believe going way back to the early part of trying to actually play it uh, a little bit better than what i was but so it's never too late never too late but i'm more into uh well obviously some gospel stuff but um in blues and and i've got a, a mate of mine barry who plays a harmonica and uh, so we jam away when we go caravanning these days and have a bit of fun so when you play the ditch uh, you know, whether you're at home or there's people around or you're away somewhere, do people sort of gravitate towards you or do they disappear? <laughs> like, what is um, it like? They don't sort of come and they, they sit and listen. Okay. They tend to stay away but listen. Um, and I love going up in the Kimberleys. I remember uh, going against some, a big rock face in, in a canyon and playing and you get the mm. echo sound mm. and you really do get that back to back to nature, back to earth um, feeling when, when you're playing it. Um, I, I don't consider it a, a spiritual instrument in any form, but it, there is something sort of special and eerie about uh, when you can get it right. But, uh, yeah. So. And how do you make a ditch? Do you know how to do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, that 
timber came, um, it's a hardwood that is eaten out uh, through the middle of it, uh, traditionally with ant, by ants, <clears throat> although a lot of modern digits are made by drilling them out, but a, a proper one, that one's um, um, uh, been eaten out by ants. Those The paintings on that particular one were were painted by the an Aboriginal lad. He was the first person to do the painting on the first uh, dollar coin. Yeah. I think it was a... It was a, a kidna or something, I think, on one of the early dollar coins. Okay. Uh, that mm. She painted it up. I think that's probably the reason I bought it in the first place because the painting, not so much the tune of it, but it's not a, not a bad ditch. Yeah, great. Well, Peter, thank you for uh, for sharing some of that. Um, we've got more story to share as well. This is Life Bursts. You're with Matt and Sarah. Don't go away. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Peter. Now, Peter, you've shared so much about your life, so many adventures out bush. So many hats. Yes, so many hats. <laughs> hats everywhere. So many, lots of other things you've brought in. Uh, but I would like to know that, uh, have you ever been bogged in your four-wheel drive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, yes, I have. And the I, second part to that question, because you just said yes, <laughs> how does somebody get themselves out of a bog? Well, uh, going back to the first question, have yeah. I been bogged? Well, I have been bogged many times in the north, in sand and everything. But the, one of the funniest ones, uh, I was actually in my suit. Um, I uh, oh. had to pick up my, our son Shane from a birthday party. I think it was him or Karen. Anyway, from a birthday party um in Kangarilla, not very far from where we live, and I decided with a mob of kids in the back, they were all about uh, 10 or 10 years of age, I decided to go the back track through the forest uh, where I knew because I'd ridden through that area on my horse and, and I was in a suit. I'd come back from work um, all dressed <laughs> to the nines. Anyway, I picked the kids up and, and away we went in the, in the Toyota well, unfortunately, there were a few deep, and it was muddy, so there was a few deeper ruts, and I and I suddenly got the centre of the car stuck on the crown yeah, of the yeah, the yeah. track, um, and even though if you've got a four wheel drive, it's nearly impossible to get out of that situation unless you've got some traction on on, on one of the wheels. Mm. So I had to get out. It was at night too, by the way. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, had to, right. I had to get out, uh, get the jack in my suit. I mean, you so know, <laughs> shoes, yeah. cut suit pants, all covered in mud. I had to then jack up one side of the the vehicle to get contact with the ground on the yeah, other yeah, side. Yeah. So I could, and then had to drive off the jack. Um, I did find the jack in the mud somewhere. The kids thought it was great. They were all the back <laughs> yelling and screaming and and right. But, uh, yeah, that was that was an interesting one. But, no, I've been bogged plenty of times. Um, usually take the, get the air out of the tyres uh, and walk your way out of it. But uh, there have been a few beaches up in the Kimberleys where we've been, we've been bogged. And, uh, but it's good fun getting out of them. You've got the right gear. Yeah. Yes, tell us what that is then for somebody right, who might yeah. want to go for Well, if you, you know, in serious, you have a winch, so you can winch yourself out with another another car. Um, or you can, uh, as I said, lowering the air in your tyres is the simplest way if you're on a beach, as long as, once again, you've bottomed, you haven't bottomed out. So they're probably the, the easiest tricks. Uh, but, 
the best way is to get your mate to pull you out and you don't have to, don't have to think about it. Mm. We had a Land Cruiser at one point in my family where the design where they'd put the spare underneath uh, which not was good. just not, not good in those situations. Doesn't but work. Uh, No, you just can't get to it. But, so it sounds like you've travelled Australia a fair bit. Um, do you have a highlight, a, a favourite spot around the country where you have been, out, whether it's out back or, or closer to home? Um, um, yes, well, we have. We've, been, we've probably gone around Australia three or four times uh, now with, in caravan. Mm. Um, favourite spot? I still think my favourite spot is Billiclina Station. Yeah. Um, a mate of mine uh, uh, it was actually at my 60th birthday, which is a few years ago now. Um, he's, he made the comment, and I'd taken him up to this station uh, with a group of guys. Uh, we drove through there. And he made the statement that he said, I think this is your spiritual home. Uh, and that really touched me. In fact, I still get emotional when, when I mention it. But... Um, yeah, that's that was really changed where I went, and it was the reason the city kid got to the bush, I guess, or the country. As a ten-year-old. As a ten-year-old, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they were, you know, they were just great times of experiences you'd never, and there are millions of them uh, you'd, you'd you'd never have if you're a city kid living in the suburbia, and uh, they're very special and and. Even to this day, I'm my mate Keith. Uh, now his son is now running the station, but uh, um, we we made and we're back to where we were, uh, you know, sixty years ago. Great. Mm. Right. So, yeah, that'll be special. And the the high country's pretty good. It's a very close. Yeah. It's a very close second on a horse. On a horse. Oh, on a horse in the high country. Yeah. Uh, reciting the man from Snow River <laughs> as you're going down some great ravine is it's not bad fun. Yeah, now you were telling us earlier that you could recite that for us. Um, yeah, yeah, well, I'm... <laughs> Are you going to give it a crack? Uh, well, I, I probably could, but I'm, it goes on for a very long time. <laughs> we might not have enough It starts time. off there was movement at the station. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it there. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I have recited it quite a number of times. Uh, I learned it, surprisingly enough, um, in the 70s, uh, real estate was very quiet, and so I did open inspections and I had nothing to do. So I would stand there in this empty house uh, with the Man from Snow River poem, and I just learned it verse by verse by verse by verse. So uh, that's what real estate agents do when they've got nothing to do. Well, that's an amazing <laughs> Yeah. Right, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's putting that time to good use, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And now, Peter, looking back at your life and all mm. of those things you've shared, and, and uh, we've only had an overview of, mm. of lots of highlights, but if you had one piece of advice you might give to whoever's watching or listening today, what might that advice be? Um, well, I've got a couple of go-to ones which my children and grandchildren would, will mention, but one of them is that if you're going to do it, do it properly. That's that's one that I've always said. It's good. It, you know, no point in just half-hearted. So I'm a bit of a perfectionist in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other one uh, was a bit of advice that my uh, my father told me about, uh, a man I admired greatly. Um, and he made the statement, uh, remember where the victory lies in the struggle, not the prize. Um, and there's so many times I've seen, you know, a football era, I, I, I look back and you know, think about the medals and the premierships and all that sort of thing. But really, 
deep down the the real victories of mates you made the 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 little things i can i can never remember anything about what happened at presentation nights and any of those things but i can remember guys that i played alongside and 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 little parts of that game and struggles that we had uh, so uh, and i think that's pretty one of those things in life that uh, that's really where the where you win yeah so tell struggle. us again the, the quote now the quote is remember where the victory lies in the struggle not the prize it's very good no wonder you've remembered something like that <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot yeah. of sense yeah thank you peter for coming in on today's show and sharing just a glimpse a burst of your life with us today mm. It's been no really good. And uh, for bringing in these uh, these aspects of your life. Yeah, yeah, well, this is the hat that I only wear these days, which is my golf hat. So uh, golf, right. <laughs> golf has uh, taken over from all the other things. Still finding ways to get out and about. Yeah, you know, still even trying if it's, to hit uh, that little white <laughs> Fantastic. So we've had horses, we've had music, we've had uh, different hats in the country. I love for the country. Uh, thank you for sharing with us today. Pleasure. Thank you, Peter. This has been Life Burst. This is one interview that you definitely need to jump online for. It's on our YouTube and our Facebook page, Life Burst with, Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. And, of course, you can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from and, of course, on community television and radio. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.